God gave his son for you. He said that he's going to work everything together for your good. Everything. If you're called according to his purpose. And in fact, he said, I've planned from all eternity. I chose you out from eternity. And those whom I've called, I'm going to justify and I'm going to glorify. And it's so certain he put it all in the past tense. Remember chapter 8? Nothing can separate us from his love. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, don't hold back. Therefore, in light of what God has done, give yourself to him. Abandon yourself to him as a, look at the rest of the verse, a living and holy sacrifice. Don't hold anything back. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today we continue in our study of the book of Romans. And Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Present Yourselves. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. What if Romans ended at verse two? He said it all for 11 chapters. He said, here's what God has done. Now, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. It's a rational, logical thing to do. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. I'm done. Paul could have said in one sense, and he just said it all. In other words, it's all here. Our duty is to present ourselves to God. It's to abandon ourselves. This word is very strong. It means to put yourself at His disposal. It means to consecrate your life to Him. He died for you, and you present your life to Him. Now, in a very real sense, this is the only imperative that we've seen in Romans. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean this. Maybe you didn't notice, but we've been looking at, what, at least 11 pages, 11 chapters of fantastic truth, and there have been no commands. <laughs> there have been no imperatives. There's no, you do this, you do that. There's just nothing. He's just saying what God has done. He's argued logically, he's argued persuasively, but he hasn't said, now here's what I want you to do, and here's what you... None of that. This is the very first imperative. Now, if you're sharp, you might say, no, nah, I think there was another one. We'll turn back to it. I showed you this when we were in chapter 6, the only other imperative. Look back at chapter 6. And you'll see why I say this is the only one of Romans, really. And really, in a sense, 12.1 is the first one. The very first one and the last one, if you want to look at it that way. Although there's going to be many sub-points to what he's saying. But chapter 6, there was another imperative. In fact, there's four of them right in a cluster in verse 11, 12, and 13. After he's presented what Christ has done for us, he said, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign. Now, here he's telling us, you know, things to do. He says, don't let sin reign in your mortal bodies so that you should obey its lusts. And don't go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, there it is. He says, no, consider, 
don't present yourself to sin. Present yourself to God. Same command. But he kind of just leaves it there. And we had a good time looking at that, but he gets right back to stating what Christ has done for us. And it really wasn't his intent to go into detail about what it means to present ourselves to God, what it means to give our life over to him. But now at chapter 12, he's done explaining what Christ has done. And now he says, here's what we, what our response should be. Here's our duty in light of the doctrine of the first 11 chapters. And he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Put yourself, put your life on the altar. Commit it to him. Yield. Put yourself at his disposal. Abandonment. My daughter and I were talking, and she was using that term to describe this, and I said, that's exactly what I'm going to be speaking on next Sunday. The abandonment of giving yourself over, presenting yourself to God. That's what he's calling for. It's realizing you're not your own. You've been bought with a price, Corinthians 6 says. You're not your own. That's what a Christian is. He's the one who realizes Christ died for me. Now, notice, notice two things. Look at verse 1, and notice two things. First of all, I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you. It's striking to me that even in this main crux, this main imperative, this crucial text, he doesn't say, I command you. He says, I urge you. I exhort you. It's the word parakaleo where that's the verbal form of the term for the Holy Spirit, the helper, the one who comes alongside. And it has this idea of entreating or urging. There's a tenderness to it. After all that God has done to him be the glory forever. Amen. I urge you, brethren, Can you hear Paul's voice and can you hear the Lord's voice? Isn't it so like the Lord? Having done everything for us, he says, Now I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, I urge you. You know, it's interesting to me that uh, he does this not by accident. It's habitual with him. Uh, Over in Ephesians, which is another book that unfolds just like this, for three chapters he gives us all the wealth we have in Christ, all the riches. And then chapter 4, verse 1, he says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. It's the same term. I urge you, I entreat you, I come alongside you and, and urge you to live for Christ. Why would you live for anything or anyone else? Oh, I urge you. And by the way, we translate it rightfully in the noun form, the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, is the helper. And when you and I, when we learn how to exhort one another, we're learning how to be helpers, if you will. We're learning how to be tools of the Holy Spirit. One of the great ministries of proclaiming the Word, when we thought about uh, the commissioning, for instance, as we sent out 
To preach the word, it's to entreat, to exhort, to use the word to encourage one along to do the right thing, to live life. Uh, Turn over to Philemon. Just look at it for a minute. It's good sometimes to see it in other contexts. Look at that little letter of Philemon right before Hebrews. little one-page letter that Paul wrote to Philemon. And he's urging Philemon to turn loose. He's become a Christian now to turn loose of the runaway slave that Paul has led to the Lord, Onesimus. And he says, you know, I could probably order you. I could command you, Philemon, to do this, but I'm not going to. And here you see this term again, and I think it's helpful to see, and this is the tone of God's exhortation to us. Verse 8 of Philemon, Therefore, though I have enough confidence in Christ to order you to do that which is proper, he's the apostle, he could have just said, I order you to do what is proper. Yet for love's sake, verse 9, I rather appeal to you, exhort, urge, parakaleo, I rather appeal to you, since I am such a person as as Paul, the aged, and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you, he says for the second time, for my child whom I've begotten in my imprisonment, Onesimus, turn him loose. I could order you to do what is right and proper, but I rather appeal to you. And I'll tell you what, I really believe that that's the way the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Uh, it's not to set those two, by the way, in kind of opposition. It's not that there aren't commands. Jesus said, listen, these things I've commanded you that your joy may be full. So we have plenty of commands and we should stand at attention. That's really what presenting ourselves means, to be at his disposal. But he's not a tyrant that just says, I command you to do this and that. You know, and sometimes I catch myself as a parent just throwing out orders. And there's a place for that, obviously, to just say, here's what I want done. But there's also a place for coming alongside and exhorting and urging. And the wise parent does a little of both. And God, the Heavenly Father, He is the pattern of what a good father ought to be. He is the perfect one. He says, I urge you, in light of what I've done for you, I urge you to give me your life, to put yourself at my disposal. So don't miss that. And I'll tell you what, when you're ministering, learn how to do this. Cultivate this. Uh, I don't think that the way to disciple someone is to just start ordering them, here's what you need to do, do this, do that, do that, do that. It's to come alongside and exhort and lay out what God has done and then say, I urge you. I urge you, therefore, brethren. Well, look at this. Look at this truth. Spend time in Romans 1 through 11 before you get to 12.1. If you're discipling someone, you're going to mentor someone. Spend much time when you talk with them about what God has done and then urge them to respond likewise. And when you do, you'll be a tool of the Holy Spirit. You'll be a helper. You'll be a human helper, you know, uh, but you'll be a, a spirit-filled human helper. You know, you can let the helper, capital H, work through you in that way. And then don't miss it. Notice he says, I urge you, therefore, brethren, if I'm reading Romans and if I'm writing Romans, I'd probably say, I urge you by the righteousness of God. But that's not what he says. Look at it. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies 
of God. Now, don't mistake this. I said early on in Romans, when we say that the great theme of Romans is the righteousness of God, we're not in any way pitting righteousness against His mercy. In fact, the righteousness of God is not merely the attribute of righteousness. It includes that. But the theme of Romans is the righteousness of God through Christ available to us so that we can be right with God. And so Paul summarizes what he has written for 11 chapters by not the righteousness of God this time, but the little phrase, the mercies of God, his compassion, his goodness. He doesn't command, he urges. And he doesn't say, by a holy and righteous God. He says, by the mercies of God. And he brings to our mind, the Holy Spirit would bring to your mind today, look what I've done for you. Look at my mercy. Think back over his mercies. He freely justified you, Christian. You didn't deserve it. He justified you freely as a gift, chapter 3 said. <laughs> Think on it. We were unrighteous. I mean, we were chapter 1 material. <laughs> I mean, if you've been in Romans, it's good to rehearse it in your mind. We were chapter 2. Self, you know, if we weren't chapter 1 in gross sin, we were in chapter 2. Self-righteous, saying, oh, I've never done that, I've never done that, and we were all puffed up in ourselves. One or the other, we were all sinners, chapter 3 says. We weren't seeking God. He sought us, and He justified us freely. But it cost Him everything. I urge you, by the mercies of God, He poured out within our hearts through His Holy Spirit His love, chapter 5. He so identified us with Christ that we are seated with Him. We are dead, buried, and resurrected. We're identified with Christ, chapter 6 says, so that we're no longer going to die. I mean, we're His. Oh, I urge you, he says, by the mercies of God. He adopted us. Remember when we looked at that in chapter 8? We don't have to come to Him cringing or with a spirit of slavery and fear. We can come to Him with a spirit of adoption and say, Abba, Father. The one who spoke the universe into existence, we can say, Dad, too. We can say, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness within our spirit that we're children of God. God is for us. Who could be against us? I urge you, brethren, in light of this, present your bodies to Him. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. God sent His Son. God gave His Son for you. He said that He's going to work everything together for your good. Everything you're called according to his purpose. And in fact, he said, I've planned from all eternity. I chose you out from eternity. And those whom I've called, I'm going to justify and I'm going to glorify. And it's so certain he put it all in the past tense. Remember chapter 8? Nothing can separate us from his love. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, don't hold back. Therefore, in light of what God has done, Give yourself to Him. Abandon yourself to Him as a, look at the rest of the verse, a living and holy sacrifice. Don't hold anything back. I'm convinced that the Christian life, the crux of it, is right here. 
Do we really give ourselves over to Him? Or do we hold back? Do we really trust Him? Or do we think, I don't know. If I were to really trust Him, if I were to really give my... You're not talking about just without reserves, God. That'd be fanaticism. Listen, I wouldn't encourage you to do anything in any other realm of life without reserve, just completely. I know we talk about it in sports and in careers. Give 110% to the company or to the team or to the MVP award or to whatever. I know people foolishly talk about it. I wouldn't encourage you to give without reserve to anything or anyone except the trustworthy one. And then you're a fool not to, and I'm a fool not to. Give yourself without reserve to him. You can trust him, a living and holy sacrifice. Now, there's a lot more to be said. This is both critical and progressive. In other words, there's a point in time, I believe, when a Christian gives himself to God. But it isn't just that point in time. It's progressive. It's daily. It's ongoing. And the crux of the Christian life is coming right back to verse 1 regularly and thinking about what He's done for you, mulling it over, and then abandoning yourself to Him, presenting yourself, saying, Lord, I'm yours. It's kind of an official statement. I remember back to a point in my life when I, with fear and trepidation, was challenged to do just that. And I remember distinctly thinking, this is scary. But even as I was wrestling with it, another voice spoke to me that said, no, you can trust me. You can trust me. In fact, this is the path of blessing. But it won't do for me to always be hearkening back to that day. It's a daily thing of remembering that I'm not supposed to run my life. I'm not my own. I've been bought with a price. Every realm of my life is to be governed by Him. My money, my time, what I give myself to, everything is to be His. Can you use that uh, language about your life? I mean your lifestyle now. I'm not talking about, don't just think philosophically. Think about your last week. Think about your last six weeks. Can you use the term abandonment? Or does it almost make you blush? to say abandonment when you think of the pittance you've given to the Lord. When I think of money, do I say, oh, here they go again, talking about money, or do I think he gave me everything? I don't have... He purchased me not with silver and gold, but with precious blood. I'm his. Everything I have is his. Or do I think, well, I gave my 10%, or I gave my 15%, I gave, I gave, but I, the rest of it's mine. How do you live your life? Do you thrill that God gave His Son for me? That's great. Preach it, you know, in the morning. And then in the afternoon, you spend the Sunday afternoon just looking for the, the perfect CD changer under the dash, you know. And it's got to be just right. I mean, you know, it's, we have to ask ourselves, do we really, are we abandoned to Him? Or do we tip our hat to the truth of Romans? Say, That's great, wonderful doctrine. And then we continue to live as those who don't know Him. Basically just filling our life with what's down here horizontally. 
Now, God gave us everything to enjoy. Praise His name for every good thing. But put it all at His disposal. Consecrate yourself to Him. Yield to Him. If you know these things, Jesus said, you're blessed if you do them. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. I'll tell you what. A life given over to Him is a life of blessing and it's a life of joy. And amazingly, and we're going to see this, uh, just read ahead, just read the rest of the verse. It's acceptable to God. He's pleased with it. Present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is the reasonable thing to do. Spiritual service of worship, real worship is what he wants. It's the only logical thing to do, and it's what he wants. He is pleased with our lives when we abandon them to him. That was the whole point of why he came, to glorify himself through his son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ came to redeem a people for his name who are given over to him. And you and I have the privilege of being part of that. Uh, Let me encourage you today to take the words I've said and the words that are here before us and let them mull in your mind and heart. And we're going to take another look at it. But don't put this off. If today the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, you can trust this God of mercy. I urge you. I come alongside you and I'd entreat you to present yourself to Him. Maybe you've just kind of been a Christian. You've bounced long in mediocrity. So many Christians settle for kind of a Sunday tip of the hat and tip of the money, tip of the time, tip of this, maybe quite even some activities. But where they're really given over is to self. Maybe you. What really makes you tick is what you want to accomplish with this and that and the next thing rather than what can I do for him? What can I, how can I use my life for him? I'll tell you, I urge you by the mercies of God, by the one who gave his life for you, by the one who sent his son to die for you, by the one who sent his spirit to live in you, I urge you without reserve to say, I'm yours, Lord. I'll go where you want me to go. I'll do whatever you want me to do. My stuff, it's at your disposal. My time, my career, my marriage, whether I ever get married or not, the young person, everything. Put it at his disposal. God will bless. God has promised. That's the path of blessing. It's the only logical thing to do. And it's pleasing to God. God will be glorified. You've been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled, Present Yourselves, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. 
The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. If you don't have a church home in the area, Pastor Scott would love to invite you to join us in person for our Sunday worship services at Southwest Bible Church. That's each Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 a.m. at the church located at the corner of Southwest Murray and Weir Road in Beaverton. You can go to our website at swbible.org for more details. We hope to see you there. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. Don't go on presenting yourself to sin. Don't give yourself over to the evil one. Give yourself over to Christ. Present yourself to God. Now, this, I've got to say it, this is the key to the Christian life. I mean, I don't think you can go 11 chapters of the most sweeping, comprehensive, detailed description of the gospel, come to the central command and just say, oh, this is one of many. (laughs) This is what he's looking for. This is key to Christian living. And notice what it is. Look at verse 1 of chapter 12. He says, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part three of the message titled, Present Yourselves. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.